Matthew chapter 26, verse number 59. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. And at the last came two false witnesses. And said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. The high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, Thou tellest whether thou be the Christ, the capital S, Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said. Amen. Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He hath spoken blasphemy. And what further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Look at me right here. Isn't it amazing that just several chapters earlier, it was this same multitude that cried, Hosanna! And now they're crying, Crucify! Child of God, we ought to be real careful when we err on the side of the multitude. For that multitude worshipped Him one moment and demanded His life just days later. They said He is guilty of death. And I want you to notice verse number 67. Then did they spit in His face and buffeted Him. And others smote Him with the palms of their hands saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Look again in verse number 67. The Bible says, Then did they spit in his face. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. God, our hearts are humbled as we've read the Scripture. God, our spirits are they are contrite, God. We, we feel almost a shrinking in our soul as we read verse number 67. I want to say thank you tonight for your love. God, thank you for your commitment to the cross that bought our salvation. God, give me words that are not mine, but give me words that come from heaven. Empty me of myself and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, may we hear from glory tonight. May Jesus be lifted up. May the devil be embarrassed. May saints be filled with with authority and with power and with praise. And God, may sinners be drawn to old-time salvation. I'll thank you and I'll praise you. And it's in your Son's name that I ask these things. And God's people sin. Amen. You can be seated. We have read this evening the account of the mock trial and the beginning of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I say to you tonight that just as the Scripture has indicated, the only thing he was guilty of was being the Son of God. The crimes that they accused him of, they could find no record and they had no bearing. Aren't you thankful that we have an impeccable Savior tonight? Won't you listen to me very carefully? Not only did he not sin, but thank God he could not have sinned. There was no sin in him. As they brought him to trial, they had to search high and low. And they paid people to lie on the very character of the Son of God. But as the false witnesses received their bride money, and as they lied about him, as they impugned him, they found no record that could bear witness of these allegations. And their false testimony fell flat on the courtroom floor. Finally, two rose up and said, I'll tell you what I heard. I heard him say that he could tear down the temple and rebuild it again in three days. Now, I want to say to you, their motives were wrong, but their memory was right. Somebody help me right there. Their, their motive was to demean him and to make him seem as a false prophet. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad I can say beyond any shadow of any doubt that he could tear down the temple and he could rebuild it in three days. And thank God he did when he allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be poured out. But glory to God, on that Sunday morning, the temple was resurrected. He was convicted of speaking truth and being God's Son. And there is rage here in verse number 65. The high priest in his anger, he stands up and he rips his outer garment out of a furious moment of anger and wrath. He allows rage to overtake him and he rips that outer garment and he says, you've heard what he said, what do you say? And the crowd in one unanimous voice cried out, crucify, crucify. The Bible then says in verse number 67, There is, Brother Toby, no gavel that has slammed down. There is no official sentence that has been announced. But rather the mob has decided that Jesus must be crucified. And before it was even legal, the Bible says in verse number 67, that they spit in his face. And they buffeted him, and others smote him with the palms of their hands. The word buffeted in our text here comes from an original word that is hupohaziah. It is a word that means to take the fist and to wrap repeatedly around the eyes in the face. It literally means to beat black and blue. These, this crowd in their anger, they balled up their fists and they pounded the face of God's Son until He was no longer recognizable, not only as a person, but His own mother would not have known Him had she not watched these things take place as they beat Him with a closed fist. The Bible says that others came. They did not close their fist and punch the Savior around His eyes but rather with the palm of their hand, they smote him in the face. With the hard part of the bottom of their hand, they repeatedly destroyed the visage of the Son of God. 
We certainly understand that there are other things that took place here that we'll see in just a few moments. But as they buffeted him, and as they smote him with the palm of their hand, the Bible says here, and in another text in the Gospels, it says that they did spit in his face. Another Gospel records it, that they did spit upon his face. I'll be honest with you tonight. Brother Toby, this is one of those verses that I know needs to be there, but I just assume that it wasn't there. You, you'll not see this crocheted on a pillow laying on somebody's couch. This is not one of those feel-good verses that we'll put at the bottom of a beautiful painting and let it warm our heart as we pass it in the hall. This is one of those verses that causes our flesh to shrink. It causes my heart to shrivel up. It call, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I back away from this verse as I begin to read it. It makes me uncomfortable. Can I get a witness right there? I could tell as we were reading that the excitement of the crowd began to stifle down as we come to verse number 67. It's hard to find an amen when you read these words that they did spit in His face. It causes our hearts to withdraw. It causes our spirits to be grieved and quenched as we imagine the darling Son of God who came for our sin, but yet He Himself knew no sin. And here He is, the beautiful face of God's only begotten Son. As angry men cleared their throat and spit in the face of God's Son. How many of you know that everything in your Bible is there because the Holy Ghost wanted it there? I began to look at that spit as it travels through the Bible, as it appears and as it finds its way on the pages of God's Word. I found that in the life of Christ, this is very interesting, I found that in the very life of Christ that He utilized spit or spittle in His healing ministry. I say to you tonight that God allowed His Son to use spit in the healing ministry because it is repulsive. Because it is embarrassing. Because it is an awful experience. But yet, I need a witness right here. Sometimes God will do things to us that we would not have signed up for. But He's wanting to see how bad do you really want some help. No, I promise you, listen to me right here. Benny Hinn's healing lines would get a lot shorter if he starts spitting in people's face. Somebody wake up and holler, Amen. You'll not see that on primetime Christian television. But Jesus, oh, I feel like preaching tonight. Jesus was not working a light show. He was not waiting on the fog machine to get it just right. There was no soft music playing dramatically in the background, but He led them to the outside of town. He pulled them away from the multitude, and there He used spit in the deficiencies of broken mankind. Three different miracles. He performs two men, but three different miracles. The first time the Bible says that he spit 
in the ground and made clay and applied it to the eyes of a blind man. Oh, I'm so glad that God, yeah, hallelujah, I'm glad that God may take me some places I don't want to go. He may do some things to me that I'd rather Him not do. But there's one thing I can say, whereas I once was blind, thank God I now can see. Another came to him seeking a miracle, and Jesus led him outside of town. And he spit upon his fingers. The Bible said that he reached in and began to touch his ears and his tongue. And this man that could not speak, his tongue was loosened. And now, for the first time, without any speech therapy, without anybody teaching him the language, he begins to talk. And oh, what makes it even more miraculous than that? He had also never heard, but as the spit, glory, the spit of God's only begotten Son touched his ears, they were no longer deaf, they were no longer closed, and now he can hear for the very first time. You tell me how you know how to talk if you never have even heard a word before. But God's Son spit upon his fingers, and it set loose the tongue of a man that was dumb. I got news for you. I didn't know how to talk till Jesus came into my life. You think about where you work. How many of you, most of you probably worked today, went to school, you was in the world. Think about the conversation, the language of the people that you were around today. This world doesn't even know how to talk. They don't even know what to talk about. And God has done some things to me that I would have rather Him not done. But thank God, I didn't even know how to speak till He came into my life. He touched His ears and He began to hear. And oh, I want to say it again. He's done some things to me that I would not have signed up for. But I want to bless His name that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. And I never heard anything right until I heard from Jesus. Spit in the life of the Savior as it came into contact with fallen man. His spit miraculously healed the eye gate. It healed the ear gate, and it healed man's ability to communicate. Jesus took that which was repulsive and that which is disgusting and that which is vile, and He used it to fix what was wrong in mankind. But now in our text tonight, we find that the same Savior who used His spit to heal broken man is now being spit upon by broken man. Brother Toby, there's three times I found in Scripture that spit carries with it a spiritual context. I found, first of all, and I, I'm not, I will take the time to read it tonight. Aren't you glad preachers don't get paid by the hour? Somebody say amen. I want you to, if you want to look at it, it's in Leviticus chapter 15. We'll be staying in Matthew, but Leviticus 15 and verse number 8. Leviticus 15 and verse number 8, the Bible says, And if he that hath the issue spit upon him that is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, listen carefully, and be what? Unclean until the even. Look at me right here. Spit in your Bible. First of all, carries with it a spiritual sign of sickness. If someone was sick, if someone had a disease, 
If someone had the flu, if someone had been hurting and ailing, and they had a problem, listen to me, your Bible says, in their flesh. If they had a sickness in their flesh, and that person was to come and they were to spit, whether accidentally or purposely, into the face or onto the body of someone that was not sick. Hallelujah, I ain't even got to where I'm going, and I'm already happy about going there. Let me say it again. If they that were sick spit upon one that was not sick, the one that was not sick would be deemed sick and contaminated by way of the contact of that spit. It was a sign of sickness. Can I say to you tonight, oh, hallelujah, that Jesus Christ, the sovereign Son of God, He was born of a virgin. Somebody ought to holler amen right there. He was born of a virgin. His blood was God's blood. He was God's only begotten Son. He was not contaminated by the sin-sick disease of Adam that flowed down through humanity to every generation. But when Jesus was born, He was born without sin. Thank God! Hallelujah! He was born uncontaminated by the sickness of the flesh that every one of us has known in this life. He was not sick. He was well. But mankind had a sickness. Mankind had a contamination in our flesh. And as they lined up that day, and as they walked by, and as they cleared their throat, and spit in the face of the Savior, by way, glory, hallelujah, by way of implication, Jesus caught what they had. Hallelujah. Is anybody else having a good time tonight beside me? I want to back up and run by that again, see if we give you another chance to get in here. I said, when sin-sick man walked by the sinless Son of God, and they spit upon his face by way of spiritual connotation, he who was not sick was contaminated by the sickness of mankind. In other words, hallelujah, he who knew no sin, he became sin that he might pay the price for those who had a sin sickness in their flesh. I'm trying to tell you tonight that Jesus came. Glory! I said Jesus came and He caught what we had. (laughs) He took upon Him our sin-sick condition. Even though He did not have it naturally, He allowed Himself to be infected by our sin so that He could carry it to the cross in our place. Ain't that a blessing? As they spit upon His face, it was a sign of sickness. And Jesus, if I can say it right, you understand what I'm saying? Jesus became unclean because unclean man contaminated that which was clean. Now, we know He was still God's perfect Son, but by way of connotation, He contracted our sin-sick disease that He might pay the price for the vaccination. Hallelujah! That's good preaching, even if I am the one doing it. Glory. 
I'm going to say this. If you can get in that Bible, if it don't bless you, it probably ain't going to bless nobody else. But I'm getting a little blessing tonight. To think that God's only begotten Son would catch what we have in order to set us free as they spit upon His face. It was a sign of sickness. But Brother Toby, not only was it a sign of sickness, but where there is spittle in the Bible, it is also a sign of shame. The Bible says, and we won't read this one tonight, but in Numbers chapter 12, when Miriam rose up against the man of God. How many of you know God thinks a whole lot of His man? And as Miriam rose up against God's man, the Bible said that, that God told that crowd, said, let her be put outside the camp for seven days. Said because, and here's what it says, Numbers 12 verse 14. Don't believe me, you can go fact check it. Numbers 12 verse 14 the Bible said that let her be put outside the camp for seven days. And he said, if she had been but spit upon by her father, would she not be shamed seven days? In other words, there is reproach when that spit is used in Scripture. It is a sign of shame. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot read Matthew chapter 26, without taking into thought and letting it settle into my heart the shame that Jesus bore as they spit upon His face. I think to myself, and probably every logical person here would have to agree, that if I told you that if you went to a certain place, that there was someone there that was most assuredly going to spit in your face when you got there, every well-minded person in this building would avoid that place for sake of embarrassment and shame. But did you know, bless the name of the Lord, did you know that Jesus was not surprised when they lined up and began to spit in His face. Isaiah said it before Jesus was ever conceived. Isaiah said concerning Christ that I gave my back to the smiters and I gave my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 6. The prophets prophesied that they would spit upon His face. Jesus Himself in the Gospels even said that the Son of Man must go down and He must be tried. And He said, they will spit upon My face. The prophets knew it. Jesus knew it. But thank God, hallelujah, He despised the shame. He knew the reproach, but He allowed it because He loved you and me. It speaks of shame. If I could have your mind for just a moment, will you go with me in your own life to that greatest place of embarrassment that sin ever brought into your heart and life? How many of you have lived long enough to know that they stuff in you that you used to didn't think was in you? 
Well, about four of you. God, I pity the rest of you. Let's try that one more time. How many of you have lived long enough to know that there's stuff in you that you used to didn't think was in you? How many of you, when you was young, you used to say things like, Boy, I'll never say things like, I guarantee you my kids won't never. But you live a little while and you'll start saying stuff like, Boy, I hope I never. I sure pray my youngins don't never. Because we find that there's more in us than we thought was there. But take just a moment and go to that place of greatest shame. That place of greatest heartache. That place where you came face to face with the worst you that you had ever seen. And the guilt and the remorse and the heaviness and the conviction and the brokenness that took place in your life. Are you there? Are you there? I know you don't want to go there, but are you there? Are you in that dark bedroom where you buried your face in the pillar and said, Oh God, how could I have? Are you in that place where you shamefully walked away and in your heart and down in the recesses of your soul you saw yourself in a dim light that you had never seen yourself before? And your mind plagued and your heart broken and your conscience grieved. Are you there in that place? Now, I want you to multiply that feeling times every person that was ever born and has ever walked on planet Earth. Can you imagine the guilt of an Adolf Hitler who allowed millions of Jews to be treated worse than livestock, robbed of food and burned alive and poisoned as babies suckled to the breast of their mother? Can you imagine the maniacal mind of an Adolf Hitler? And all of his guilt. Can you imagine the grieved, vexed heart of a Saddam Hussein who so wildly and rampantly ran out of control, a slave to his own lust, a prisoner to his own thirst for power, and all of the wickedness that lived inside of his heart. Can you imagine every murderer, every rapist, every child molester, every drunkard, every dope addict, every cheater, everyone that's ever lied? Can you imagine the guilt of all of mankind? Jesus put on that guilt. He put on the guilt of an Adolf Hitler. He put on the shame of a Saddam Hussein. Jesus bore in his heart the grief of every cheater and every liar and every murderer. He put on him the embarrassment of every sex offender whose name was printed in the paper. He put upon him the worst that mankind had to offer. He was shamed as they spit upon his face. There's shame in this spit. Here he is, God's Son, who should be high and lifted up, who should be praised. This is the same darling Son of God But in heaven the angels have one job, and that is but to fly around His throne and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. This is the same darling Son of God whose face is so full of holiness that there's no sun in heaven because He is the light thereof. This is the same darling face that his mother held on a cold night in Bethlehem and wiped away the the tears of those infant eyes. This is the same face of the Savior 
that looked into the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. This is the same precious face of God's Son. But now He bears the shame of the worst that mankind could imagine from the crowd. Crucify! As the soldiers and as the Pharisees and as the scribes clear their demon-possessed throats and spit in the face of Christ. What shame. What shame. There's a third spiritual connotation when it comes to spit in your Bible. That third spiritual connotation is one of separation. What did they say about Miriam? said, if her father had but spit in her face, she'd be removed from the camp for seven days. What is seven the number of in your Bible? It's the number of completion. It means total rejection. If, if, if her father had but spit in her face, she would be totally rejected. But as they spit upon the face of Christ, it also spoke of separation. Here He is, one that has given His life for all of the world who was not only living at that time, but ever had lived and ever would live, but specifically in that day. He had raised their dead. Are y'all hearing me tonight? He had, ra- he had stopped the funeral procession and, and raised their dead. He had gone to the homes of broken people and spoken life back into their children. He had touched their death. He had touched their blind. He had healed their infirmities. He had fed them when their stomachs were empty. He had loved them when nobody else loved them. But yet as that crowd lined up and spit upon His face, Jesus experienced separation. First Simon Peter, that barroom brawler of a rugged fisherman and a fighter. Where Simon? Simon's towered down by the enemy's fire. Pretending he don't even know who Jesus is. Where's Thomas? Where yet, Thomas? Thomas is gone, sitting in his own doubt and depression. Where are you, Matthew? Where are you, Mark? Where are you, Luke? James? Where are you? Only John and a few ladies are present during this time and identified with Christ. He's forsaken. He's separated. Boy, there's nothing that hurts quite as much it's thinking you can count on somebody. And when the rubber meets the road, you find out that they're nowhere to be found. Jesus experienced separation from all those that were around Him. But ladies and gentlemen, His separation went further than that. Because no one can understand the separation that Jesus endured on the cross as He was not only separated from mankind, but somewhere on the other side of eternity, God the Father turned His back on God the Son, and Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Won't you listen to me? Hey, listen to me. There's not one person in this room You may have been forsaken by your children. You may have been forsaken by a husband or a wife. You may have been forsaken by your parents. You may have been forsaken by a pastor. You may have been forsaken by your best friend. But there's not one person here tonight who can even begin to minutely understand the separation that Jesus endured on the cross as His own Father turned His back 
because they had spit upon his face. Calvary's a gruesome scene. And I think that sometimes we have been robbed of its rawness. I, I think sometimes we have become numb to the brutality of the cross. And we've been desensitized for decades of paintings of a thin-fingered, pale-skinned, porcelain-figured man hanging delicately upon a cross with a few little red places in his hand and his feet and a scratch upon his side. But my dear friend, I want you to understand tonight, that's not my Savior in that painting. That's not my God in that painting. That's not my Lord in that painting. My Jesus, if you wanted to see a picture of Him, the closest thing you could do is go to the local meat market and find a side of beef as it hangs stripped of its skin, removed of its intestines. That's a closer picture of Christ. The cat of nine tails wrapped around His side, the bone and the glass and the rock ripping the flesh from His body, His ribs exposed, His spine exposed, His internal organs opened up to the cold night air. The Bible said that they ripped the beard from his face. They didn't pluck it a hair at a time. But by the handful, they pulled out his beard and his flesh alongside of it. They took the crown of thorns and they shoved it down upon his head. It did not sit gently and talk to one side, but they shoved it into the skull and the scalp of the Savior. And as the blood ran down his face, his eyes had been beaten and buffeted. Oh, his face had been smitten with the palm of their hand. No, oh, Brother Toby, even the spit of those vile sinners ran from his nose, dripped from his beard. There, no one handed Jesus a handkerchief before he was nailed to the cross. The spit of sin-sick, shameful man ran. From his face. There was no loincloth. He was naked. Embarrassed, humiliated, exposed for all the world to see as the spit of wicked man clung and flowed down his darling face. We see that shame. and We see that reproach. And it crushes the heart of every child of God but I tell you what, we cannot see. We cannot see what happened in his heart when God the Father turned his back on his only begotten son. I've got one son. I've got one child. He's 13. And Brother Toby, if he was in even remotely of a dire situation, I'd fight everybody between me and him and do what I had to do to deliver him. God's only begotten Son hung up on a wooden tree between heaven and earth and the flames of hell boiling beneath. And as His body was broken, oh, bless His holy name, as the Spirit of mankind caked up and flowed down His precious face mingled with His blood. In the midst of all of that shame comes the separation of the Father, the thrice holy God of all glory, said, I cannot look upon Him. I don't know what that's like. 
There's not one of us here tonight that's ever had God turn His back on us. Oh, I've had people give up on me, but God's never given up on me. I've been so full of myself that I gave up on me, but God's never given up on me. But as He bore the sin and the shame of the most wicked among us, and all of us mingled into one cup and He drank it, the Bible says that His Father turned His back upon the Son. Can you see Him? Can you see Him tonight? Can you see His mangled body? Can you see His hands as the blood flows with every beat of His broken heart? Can you see Him as He fights, pushing up, drawing, gasping for air? Can you see Him tonight? And on the other side of heaven, He could have called 10,000 angels. Gabriel and Michael stood prepared, waiting for that, that the blink of an eye or an upward glance or one word that he wanted their assistance. And all of heaven stood prepared to deliver him from the cross. But as our spit flowed down his sacred face, he simply said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken? When the Roman soldier came by with his spear, he plunged it into the side of Christ, and out of his side flowed blood and water. There's only one physical way, and there's only one medical explanation of how blood and water can mingle in the chest cavity, and that's if the heart has literally exploded. It was not the blood loss that took his life. It was not the gasping for air that finally claimed him. But Jesus succumbed to death and he submitted to death. And it was not the soldiers and it was not the crowd, but he died willingly of a broken heart. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah. And as they dropped that cross to the ground and the body of Christ fell with a thud, there on his face, mingled with blood, was the spit of mankind. They did spit upon his face. I don't like that verse. It's uncomfortable. It's disrespectful. It's almost blasphemy. But the Holy Ghost wanted us to know that Jesus loved us enough that He allowed them to clear their throat. And one by one, as they passed Him by, to spit upon His face. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord Jesus. Thank You, God for sending Your Son to die in our place. That should have been me. And that should have been You. But oh, thank God, He endured the suffering of the cross because of the joy that was waiting on the other side.